Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. G'day Australia, welcome to My Millennial Money, I'm Glenn James and today uh, John Pigeon who is actually on the front of the podcast, he's back in the studio. John, welcome back. Thank you Glenn, great to be here. Yeah, you've been travelling around New South Wales for 13 weeks. I have. Uh, And we might actually do an after party today and you can tell us a little bit about your travels. Mm. Uh, But John, just for the new listeners, uh, because you've been gone three months basically, Yes. um, you know, you have a podcast called My Millennial Property that you do with Emily Wallace. Yes. You co-host uh, some of the My Millennial Money episodes as well. Uh, but just tell us a little bit about your background for the new listeners. Yeah, sure. So my background, first and foremost, was education. was a teacher for five years, but then always been passionate about property investing myself. So ever since straight out of uni, first bought my first investment property, was the rent vester before I knew what rent vesting was. Yeah, fast forward that to, to probably 10 years ago when I started property coaching, I suppose. So what is a property coach? Well, you, you're teaching everyone about what um, what to do when you're a property investor, so finance structures and and the foundations of uh, what, it, what, what it takes and then taking them to the market with a strategy that works for them and Mm-hmm. So that that's essentially what uh, what my company does, um, along with yeah, I've got an online uh, property course. Um, we've got a buyer's agent service. Um, we do clarity calls and um, everything else around that. Yeah, and I will say, like John and I have known each other for some time now, and you know, there over time, John, there has been that many, I guess, dodgy brothers, sharks in the property world because it's. It's pretty much unregulated, would you say? I mean, you've got a real estate license. I have, yeah. So, from a qualifications point of view, qualified real estate agent, financial planner and mortgage broker, but we don't really trade essentially in any of those spaces, if that makes sense. And you're right, um, real estate is not a a financial product as such, so... There don't doesn't need to be any formal qualifications. Mm. Um, So, that's why I get a lot of pleasure out of coaching people to go and do it themselves. Yeah. And I, and I will say just, um, I know I'm splitting hairs, but you're not a licensed financial advisor, mm. nor were you, but you've done a fair chunk of the um, diploma. Correct. So, you've got a base level understanding yep. and same with mortgage broking. Is that correct? That's right. And for any mortgage brokers and financial planners out there listening, you're safe. I'm not coming into your space anytime soon. Yeah, <laughs> But you just wanted to understand how that world works, didn't you? Yeah, that's right. And it was just, uh, look, I see hopefully uh, regulations changing over time where to the point where someone like myself would need those qualifications anyway. Yeah. Um, so, and I guess all that to say, I, um, in my financial planning business, I used to refer clients to John. So, someone would come in and want to purchase a property or their first home or whatever that is. And I'm like, look, yeah, I can talk to you generally about it, but I'm not licensed to make a formal recommendation for a specific property or suburb. Mm. Uh, so, don't waste your money with me, I'll refer you to John Pigeon. So, mm-hmm. that's kind of um, how I got into, you know, John's world my and world. John into my world mm-hmm. um, because we were just about win-wins in our businesses and John would refer back to my business for the things that um, a financial advisor might want to do. So, correct. Yeah. there you go. So, if you are new to the show and you are wondering who's blowing me on the front cover... <laughs> Uh, it is John holding the fan. Oh, yeah. I'm holding the fan. That's all right. All right, John, you ready to have a chat about these case studies? Let's do this. Well, we are coming to you 
from my lounge room today because the studio is all set up, John, because I am in the middle of shooting the Glenn James spending plan, Mark II. We're reshooting all the content. We're adding, I think, three or four modules. Look out. And I just want to let everyone know that if you have purchased the Glenn James spending plan before, um, over the coming weeks or months, whenever we get all that edited, you will just see the new videos in there. Mm. Uh, You won't have to pay any more or anything like that. So, we're just adding those modules in. And then uh, if you do want to purchase the Glenn James spending plan, I would encourage you to probably jump in now uh, because the price is going to go up in, uh, I think, July. Uh, so jump in now, pay today's rates. There's a link in the show notes to get 20 bucks off uh, and you will get the new content anyway. So Beautiful. I've got the view, John, if I'm upgrading an existing course, if you paid for it, awesome. So if, it, yep. if the price went up to $5,000 one day, you would still get it for the $50, $60, $70 that you paid for it. Yeah, so, I agree. So that's why we're in my lounge room. Now, there is a case study here and I did a little bit of prep for this, John, because I found it fascinating and it was an anonymous post to the Facebook group and I'll read it. I'm single, I'm in my early 30s and have $350,000 in cash Uh, she's got 30K already in the first home super saver scheme. So she's got the cap in there. Uh, She's got no other assets other than her super. Uh, She's got a secure job with a 90K salary. She's got no debt and good credit. So obviously um, hasn't not paid her bills and whatnot. So here's the crux of the case study. I plan to buy my first home, a one or two bedroom apartment in inner Melbourne, I plan to max out my concessional contributions to super each year. And remember, as at the 1st of July this year, the concessional contribution cap goes from $25,000 to $27,500. She wants to invest in ETFs, a lump sum now and regularly in the future. She doesn't want to have any investment properties because of the hassle. And she writes, the only part I'm unsure about is the balance between principal place of residence and shares. For example, a 40% deposit on a two-bedroom apartment or plus $100,000 in shares or a 40% deposit on a one-bedroom apartment and $150,000 in shares or something else. Other factors is, uh, she says, I'm a woman, I'll probably not have children and my income is only likely to increase modestly over the rest of my career. What do you think and what would you do? So, John, before we get into the weeds of this case study, what are your initial thoughts of just the wash-up? And she did actually write back to the anonymous um, post to say that the three hundred and fifty grand in savings is part of an inheritance yep. and her savings. So, um, either way, it's impressive. Yeah, and it, and it is. I mean, you know, early thirties to have a really good start like that. Um, you're ahead of the curve. Mm. And for those who might be like, oh, that's ridiculous and all this stuff. And, mm. you know, it's okay. You know, everyone's situation's different. We just yep. need to focus on our own situation. And today, um, we're just going to have a chat about this situation. Yeah. So, initial thoughts, John. Yeah. So, yeah, sounds like she's she's got her stuff together in respect to um, looking at super and, and diversification, property and shares. So, that's that's all great. Um, so just on that, John, so properties and shares, you're still saying as your kind of net worth owning your own house to live in, it is kind of still an asset. Like you would include that in your diversification strategy. Yeah. So I'm looking at this case study for the first time. I'm I'm thinking, well, what is this person's long-term outcome, Mm. right? They, they're saying they're not going to have kids, um, and, their, their salary is not going to be outrageous um, over the next 10, 20 years. So, sounds as though that she wants to live in her own home. Yeah. Yeah. And she's made that clear. So, that's the first part of it. Do we want to live in our own home or are we happy to rent vest, essentially? Because yep. they're the only really two options um, unless you live at home and free vest. Yeah. Um, so, if the answer to that is, yeah, I want my own home, then let's go and get that. Totally. As soon as we can, yeah, and and get some exposure to property and and leverage off the, off the money that the banks are going to lend us. So- now, a question on um, I'm going to ask you two questions, and we might start uh, conceptually about in apartments in general, and then we might talk about Melbourne specifically. Yeah, I mean, I read this and thinking, you know, 
if I'm buying something to live longer term, I'm not getting one better apartment straight up. So to me, I've kind of put a line through that because I've got a case study. I've got a bit of a scenario that I would do in this situation and it's not based on a one better. So talk to us generally about apartments, what to look for, what not to, yep. uh, general vibe. Yeah, I would put a line through the one better as well. I'm looking at who's going to buy my property in 10, 15 years time or who's going to rent my property or who's going to come in and value my property. And I look at the supply of what's going to be available that's similar to my asset. So whether it's in Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane, wherever, uh, there's a lot of potential one-betters that can be built and only essentially one person or maybe two can live in that. And also maybe only one income. Only one income, yeah. So the rental yields, not we're talking about renting no. this out, but the rental yields are generally stronger with one bettors because mm. the price are lower. But generally speaking, the supply of them uh, can be out of control. And I think it's important to note, John, because it's one thing that, you know, I actually listened to an episode that you did on someone else's podcast about property investing, you know, because I like to just check up and see what <laughs> propaganda you're spraying. Yeah. <laughs> but- you said something interesting that stuck with me because I would ordinarily think, oh, if you're, um, if you're buying somewhere to live, whatever. Mm. No, actually, it was something to do with your own house, I think, when you renovate it, mm. even though you're not technically um, planning not to live there for mm. less than 15 years or whatever. Yeah. But building it so if it does get valued or if your circumstances change, you've got the best bang uh, for potential future bucks. Correct. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, absolutely. So you've got to be thinking not just about what you want, but um, if you're building a portfolio of wealth, uh, how is that asset going to improve it, your, your wealth situation? Mm. So yeah, that that's an example of that. But I think um, apartments, generally speaking, in the last 10 years haven't had a good run mm. uh, and, and it has been a supply issue. The demand wasn't there to buy. And the supply was was um, too great. Too great, and that has stemmed a little bit in the last twelve to twenty four months. Um, but like, I take a suburb in Melbourne called St Kilda. Mm. Most people would have heard of St Kilda, and it's very close to CBD. Great amenities, public transport, um, walking distance almost. Uh, the vacancy rates are around about four percent. At the moment. Which is high. Which is high for these times. Yes, but that's obviously exacerbated by COVID. Well, yes. So if COVID wasn't around, let's Mm. take COVID out of the equation for the moment. Mm. If I bought a a one-bedroom apartment or a two-bedroom apartment in in St Kilda uh, in 2010, 11, Mm. um, it's going to be, on average, it's basically worth what I paid for it back then. Mm. 10 years later. Mm. So the the old um, adage that property always goes up is not true. Yeah, it's a bloody myth. Mm. Okay, so apartments or unit living, like, you know, I'm in a townhouse. Does this usually get thrown in with apartments? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a bitzer, isn't it, the townhouse? It, it's mm. – um, I don't know – because there's a lot of analysts out there and that provide a hell of a lot of data that can confuse the life out of you. Mm. I don't know whether they're throwing townhouses in the house mix or the unit mix, but I would uh, tend to think that it's more in the house mix, right? But if we look at townhouse as a an individual on its own for a moment, you can see that like you're in a block here that's got three. Mm. So we can't put 80 apartments up on this block. No. We can build three townhouses or we can build maybe two houses or one big thumping house. So the supply is kept in check from a, a townhouse point of view as opposed to an apartment. So it's a very different beast. And you've got your own backyard and there's a whole lot of positives that come with that. So, yes, you're paying more for it. Um, and that's the question a lot of people ask us, whether they're in Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, they're probably the main three that it's common to have all those assets is – do I buy a, a, a one-bedroom apartment in a blue-chip suburb or do I go further out and, and buy a three-bedroom townhouse um, for the same price? Old or new? 
So would we be encouraging anonymous here mm. to look for something that's established or off the plan in Melbourne? Because I guess for these discussions in Melbourne, I've assumed around a six hundred thousand dollar purchase price. Yeah. So if you got six hundred to spend, and we'll talk about deposits in a moment, I suppose. But if we've got six hundred to spend, we don't need to buy one better. We can go and buy two better comfortably. If there's a slight oversupply and there's a few on the market at any one time, and, and I'll refer back to St Kilda, at the moment there's about 180 one or two bedrooms uh, on the market at as we speak, so that's quite a number. Um, we've got the pick of the, the market, so it, it's really a, a buyer's market in, in that example, whereas the most of Melbourne, it's actually a seller's market at the minute. Yeah, okay, so we're saying... Um, I guess if we move to the more specific case of Melbourne for Anonymous, you know, we're going to say, what would we do? We'd be looking at a two-bedroom apartment. I mean, I looked, John, um, is there, is there a suburb called Pran or Pran? Pran, yeah. Pran. Yep. You can get into a, an apartment for well under 600 Yes. Now, I would personally be saying, because you want to live there longer term, Anonymous, maybe look for something that only has eight and that is a little bit more out of the CBD. So you're not going, you know, three stories down into the basement every time you want to go home and That's then right. pressing level 28 and then just drama, drama, drama. Yeah. Um, so I'm of the view, you know, maybe a little bit further out. Um, yeah. Not yeah. a multi-story high rise and one that if you can get, uh, get a bit of greenery or something. Yeah. So let's sort of... Um look at apartments and units as, as two things separate for the minute. Sure. You go to the Docklands in Melbourne and you'll see 200 apartments um, built in the in the one complex with their lifts and their pools and everything else. Uh, you can go to somewhere like Paran where there's an old block of eight or ten units that mm-hmm. are 1970s, 1980s built that, as I said, might have a little courtyard and, and there's no large body corporate costs and that, uh, that are going to drag you down. So... That's the difference essentially between the apartments and the units um, mm. in, in most cases. So, yeah, two-bedroom unit, older style, maybe has some add value, doesn't have too many other in that complex and you may be able to get a discount but at the moment they're probably in as just a, a much demand as the houses. Yeah, and so when they say oversupply um, apartment in, you know, Melbourne and Sydney, we're really talking CBD high-rises or Docklands, aren't we? In, in most cases, yeah. you are. Yeah. Okay, so and, and I was taught probably 15 years ago, never, never buy with a triple O postcode. Right. Which, in, which obviously every capital city CBD is a triple zero. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. And because before we press record, everyone, I was saying to John, I'm like, well, I'm hearing all this crap about, you know, this um, apartment rental shortage and there's no one around to rent apartments. Can she go in and steal a place? Mm. But we're saying, you know, if we're within eight kilometers of the CBD or, you know, even closer, five kilometers or whatever... It, it's probably just as competitive. Yeah, it, it probably is unless there's um, a lot of new developments coming on, which mm. would be essentially apartments. So yep. I'd be gunning for a unit if I was her. Um, it, it's, again, looking at that conversation of uh, improving your wealth but also enjoying your lifestyle. So she might actually enjoy living in the Docklands with a two-bedroom apartment with a brand-new lift and pool. And yeah, and she's on level 23. Yeah, yeah awesome. And so if that's the case, she probably can go in and get a bargain right now. Mm. And if she's never going to sell it, she, she won't be a millionaire out of it mm. or she won't get the growth that a lot of other assets will give her, mm. but she's got the lifestyle. So just before we move on into the exact case study of what I would probably look at doing, and I'm going to bounce it off John, just check the strata levies, check the sinking fund. Um, and a lot of people in the group were saying, go get financial advice. And she actually is getting some advice, she said. So um, not that, you, you know, you want to buy a place for the long term and you want to invest in shares. I mean, there's not that much you could do to break this because it's, all, it's going to come down to what works for you and to be slow and considered. You know, it'd be a different story, John, you know, when we see these scenarios when people write in, oh, I've got three credit cards and I'm in debt and, you know, I want to travel. Like, 
she's very clear on what she wants to do, which is awesome. Yeah. Uh, there's not 15 different competitive uh, competition. There's not 15 different competing priorities. So I think just the way that she's planned this out, she's very strategic. I don't think she can break it. Mm. However, um, she will get advice. So yeah. that's awesome. So I've assumed that uh, Anonymous could probably get something for $600,000. Okay. Now she's open to putting a 40% deposit in. We know her salary is 90 grand. So I kind of looked at this um, backwards, John, in the way that your principal place of residence where you live or where you rent, we really don't want the mortgage repayments to be over 30% of your net take-home income. Mm -hmm. Now, 25 is good. And what to aim for, 20% is great, uh, 0% of your net take-home on mortgage or rent oh, is deal. amazing because you own the property or yeah. you're boarding somewhere, okay? Yeah. At no cost. So, I've looked at that 90K salary, excluding super, uh, it'd be around a 70 grand net income, okay? So, realistically, that gets us to 17 and a half grand a year or $1,458 a month mm-hmm. to spend on a mortgage repayment. Mm-hmm. Right. So then this is kind of what I would be looking at doing. Getting a $350,000 loan using a deposit of $250,000 made up of 220 cash and $30,000 of the first home super saver scheme. Yep which ends up to be $600,000 because we'll assume there's no stamp duty because first home buyer. So a $350,000 loan. Now I've been conservative here and said 3% interest rate, principal and interest over 25 years would be $1,659 a month. Mm -hmm. Okay. Which ends up to be about 28% net income. Yeah. Now, if she can get a deal that's one ninety nine percent interest, and you know they push it out to a thirty year loan or whatever that looks like, that can come down to twelve hundred and ninety one dollars a month, which is twenty two percent of net take home. Mm-hmm. So, by doing this scenario, it leaves one hundred and thirty grand left to invest. Yep. But what I've done is um, carved out thirty grand. 10K to furnish the yeah. <laughs> Get some new furniture for the nice new unit or yeah. whatever you want. And 20 grand is an emergency fund. Yep. Now, in turn, and this is where, John, we need to get strategic. And if you were a hardcore spender and you weren't good with money, I would look at throwing $250,000 into the property, locking it down, vanilla mortgage. Yeah. Yes and amen. I'm just paying, you know, sixteen fifty nine a month or, yeah. you know, 1291 a month, wherever that fits. Because I think it's important to allow a buffer. That's yeah. why it's good to be conservative. But I think when we get strategic, John, can we put $120,000 into the property, mm-hmm. which is our 20%, so yeah. we're not paying lenders mortgage insurance. And then the balance of $130,000 have on an offset account. Yep. And we just don't open that offset account and we just don't open that internet banking. We leave the money on offset Mm. because the only reason I'm thinking to do that is as you, as time goes on, things can change. You might get a cracking pay rise and you want to move. You might end up going, well, I've got the hang of owning a property. I do want to move closer to the beach or I do want to move to Sydney or I do want to do something. And then you can turn this property into an investment property and instantly pull out that $130,000 and put into your next property deal. Yeah. That's how I would kind of slice this kitten. Based on her income, her deposit, and what she's told us, I would be doing two bedroom, $600,000 max, 550 awesome, 500 radical, and not really having a loan higher than $350,000. That's good. Uh, I would agree. 
there's a part coming. <laughs> <laughs> now, no, look, uh, again, as you mentioned, depending on where they are in the scale of spender saver, as to I think where they need to hide their money away. Totally. Um, so they need to understand that and, and whether they're going to ever invest in more property as well. Well, and this is why she did say initially she's not interested in investment properties. Yeah. So I'm taking it as though, well, she, that's her only property that she's ever going to buy, mm. but things change. Mm. Um, but let's say that that's it. So let's pay down that mortgage as much as possible. Mm. So whack it all down. Can we draw some equity out to buy shares? And that's why you'd need an advisor. Mm. So there could be what you're saying, a debt recycling strategy here. Correct. Put 350 down, leaves a mortgage of 250 mm. uh, and then you're getting some tax benefits when you draw it back out. Exactly. Mm. So depends on risk profile and a whole range of things. Yeah. Mm. So I guess what John's getting at there is um, basically having a really low mortgage that's non-tax deductible refinancing the deal or having another second mortgage mm. that you've effectively have separate and with that money buying your share portfolio. Yeah. And then what we're doing is with uh, dividends, we're using the dividends and the income off that portfolio to pay down your home loan. Yeah. Yep. And then, you know, over time we might refinance and review um, but – I think seeing a financial advisor in this situation could be very beneficial before you pull the trigger because of the potential tax advantages, um, which could, you know, the potential tax advantages could give you an extra 10 grand a year. And that's that's what I'm thinking is that the, there are some definite upsides to that, but there's mm. a risk profile that comes with that, isn't there? Totally. And that's why I started with the, this is probably the way I would look at doing it, bank, having yeah. that, you know, money not an offset, like yeah. on an yeah. offset, just locked away, forget about it. Yeah. Yeah. So just for those that are listening in thinking, which way would I go if I had my 350, mm. um, go back to the start, say, well, all right, older two-bedroom unit, 1970s, add some value to it over time, but I'm happy with my location and whatever, versus maybe in a, um, a two-bedroom apartment that might be closer to CBD, 12 months old, that someone wants to sell, it's distressed or something like that, and there's an oversupply, I could go in and get myself a 30, 40K discount. Mm. If, if we went down that path of the 30, 40K discount, and then this is what a lot of people are sort of asking me at the moment is, well, why wouldn't I get a, a discount if it's an oversupplied market and take advantage of that, right? The downside of that is... Um, when are we going to realise, when is that type of market going to recover, right? So yes, I might have, instead of it being worth 600, I've got it for 560. If the valuer came in today, they would probably only value it at 560 anyway. Mm. So I've got a discount off the retail price. Um, and when when is it going to recover to the point that it's going to assist me with my wealth? So it's it's, mm. yes, it's a discount. Potentially on paper, but that might not trans transpire. And I think it's important to note that, you know, I've just done bush maths on this bit of paper yes. with my pen. Um, you know, her net income might be a little bit higher than 70K because she is pumping, you know, the cap into super. Yeah, so, I noticed that's good. I mean, she's, and that's what I mean, like she's just banging and yeah. it's just amazing. Mm. Uh, but I just like to, with any strategy, not to paint ourselves into the corner. So I think it's important that we get yeah. cute with the mortgage and not necessarily uh, put it all in, or if we do put it all in, make sure that um, the mortgage broker can set up a second mortgage mm. to use that money to invest. Yeah, yeah. but I, I think to a point, John, the more I do think about it, the more I think you're probably on the money if the risk profile is there, mm. throw as much into the house as possible. Yeah, get rid of the bad debt. And then and if that, you do want to, you know, do a bit of a debt recycling strategy, but... And that's her, as she referred to as the 
other suggestion or something else. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing. Like I always like to say, and I've said it a million times on the podcast, have a strategy, however small, but one eye on today, one eye on the future. Mm. And we've just kind of got to hedge this as much as possible with whatever we do. Yep. And I just love the fact that she's um, capping out the super contributions yeah. because that would be the first thing I would say um, to someone in this position, if their income's good, you know, they've got a good setup behind them, you know, the anonymous, Miss Anonymous in, you know, 30 years time will be absolutely thanking mm. the Miss Anonymous of today. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. hey, um, thank you so much for, for sending that in. And uh, we're yeah. going to start and answer a few more anonymous things uh, from the Facebook group because they really are cool. Don't send them to my personal um, Facebook profile, everyone, because I don't check that because I can't give hundreds and hundreds of people uh, access to me because you'll all ask me questions all day. Mm. And I'm really sorry, but it's just, it's not possible for me to, um, nah. to reply to hundreds of hundreds of people. Um, too busy. You can reach out um, through the website, through the My Millennial Money page, that inbox there, the team answer that. And I, and this is like, I know it sounds like I'm, you know, the president of the US and I'm that busy, <laughs> but I just want to say with respect that I need to have some boundaries between you that are listening because a lot of you think that we're good friends and we absolutely kind of are <laughs> friends. You listen to me a lot, uh, but it's sometimes really, I just can't, yeah. you know, respond to every single person. No. Um, but I'm in the Facebook group. If you put a thing up, I'll often comment. We've got a team that will, you know, help as much as we can. Yes. And I am thankful that you are listening. Absolutely. Uh, there's a quick question here uh, before we take a break, John. And I'll, I'll say this segment is brought to you by My Millennial Career Podcast because <laughs> this question. it's a bit of a career question. There's two career type questions. And if you haven't listened to My Millennial Career, uh, Shell and M, they do such a great job. Uh, last year, their podcast was in the top five business finalist podcast things, the Podcast Amazing, Australia Awards yeah. or whatever it is. I'm, I'm losing my mind. Couldn't I can't speak. So thanks, Shell and M, for My Millennial Career. Benny Jones has a quick question. If you're leaving a full-time position after seven years, what under what circumstances can you request to have all your long service leave paid out? Thank you. Well, a couple of things there, John. Long service leave is generally state-based. So the thresholds, whether it's seven years or 10 years, yeah. check your award for your state. But the number two is it's your money. It would be like holiday leave that you haven't taken mm. so the moment you say i'm out of here see you later um they will say okay well we owe you your leave to pay out yeah your holiday leave and your long service leave yeah haven't used it i mean and also you might even it really depends on your situation you may change you may decide to be like look Oh, we won't even go there, John. I was going to talk about like going on a half Hold leave for a yeah. bit or I don't know. You Because, you, you know, for those who aren't leaving their employer and you do have long service leave, a lot of people say, I'm going to take extended long service leave at yeah. half pay. Mm. So, instead of having the three months off or whatever it is, if the workplace considers it, yeah. they might say, yeah, I'll, I'll take three, I'll take six months off at half pay. So, but yeah, uh, long and the short of it is it's your money. Uh, we'll take a quick break and we'll be back with the next question. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. All right, we're back, John. Do you want to read that question for, from a non? So, for any allied health workers, e.g. physio, osteo, chiro, myotherapist, I'm a physiotherapist and feeling a little burnt out and wanting to change into a less clinical one-on-one -on -one patient environment, currently working in a hospital and perhaps out of the profession altogether. What other careers slash jobs have you moved into? I feel like allied health has a glass ceiling and not sure I can see myself in the industry for 10 years mm. or in 10 years. 
And if you do want to have a look at this, you can jump into the Facebook group and just search Allied Health and the post will come up. It's an anonymous post posted by the M3 page. What would you say to that, John? Oh, look, I'm, I've always been a... I would say I'm very fortunate in the sense that I've always had the thought of always doing something that I'm passionate about and if I'm not passionate about it now, I'm out of here. So... My my thought is for this person, absolutely, if you're not stimulated and motivated and you don't feel as, as though you're giving everything or, or just not in, not getting the satisfaction from your, your nine to five, then definitely pivot sideways. Or in some cases, you do have to actually go backwards to go forwards for for that um, enjoyment in, in your vocation, don't you? Mm. I, I guess from a personal finance 101... It's times like this where we like to say having your money in order. So, no personal loan debt, no holiday debt, no credit card debt, like running lean because if you are running lean and you do have some emergency funds or, you know, you're not living on the line, it gives you more options to move. Yeah. So, you know, and this is why it's so important. I'll say the magical four things again. Even in your 20s, if you don't get someone else pregnant unplanned, if you don't get pregnant unplanned, if you don't uh, end up in jail and if you don't end up on drugs, you know, you've got a really good shot. At a win. <laughs> you know, it, you know, heading because I've talked to a lot of people and there are a lot of people who probably listen mm. who started a family quite early, which is fine, um, you know, have some financial commitments mm. and are leaving week on week and you know, to retrain or reskill or move to their dream, it's a lot harder. Mm. And it's a because it's hard to get off the conveyor belt totally. when you're living on the line. Yeah. And I say yeah. that with grace to everybody listening. Yeah. But that's just the fact of it. So what I would probably consider and we don't know Anonymous's age, location, how long they've been doing it and all that stuff. But we know they want to change from a less one to one patient environment. Yeah. I mean and, and they said perhaps out of the profession. So, I I read this and like, so my friend Cal, actually you did the episode with Cal and Nathan who yep. bought their um, property an hour out of Melbourne. Mm. And, oh, actually for everyone who was uh, listening to that, uh, Nathan actually won the Telstra Ballet Dancer Awards. Oh, did he? So, he won the two awards and got $40,000. Wow. Yeah, so with all the grants they got in that, deposit. that award, oh, mate, they're just printing money, those yeah. guys. Um, but Cal was a physio at a hospital then into private practice. Yeah. And he was the same thing. I was like, oh, is this Callan writing this? But he didn't like it. It didn't fulfill him. Mm. So those skills of being a physio, he then went and got a job uh, with an insurance company uh, as a claims assessor for income protection mm. Uh, for the musculoskeletal claims, right, which was amazing because he, you know, had no experience in financial services, yeah. and he went to this um, job. We go, yeah, I'd like to get into finance mm. uh, claims. Had the interview, and he said, and and basically, he was almost heading up a big chunk of the claims department for musculoskeletal claims mm. because having a physio was so valuable to the claims team to be yeah. able to assess if oh, that's legit or nah, they're... Yeah, it's been in it. Yeah, mm. so all that to say, Anonymous, your skills can be transferable. Yeah. You're not a, a fence post because you've applied yourself, you're, you've, you're qualified, you're all that stuff. Mm. Um, sorry for insulting you, John, you fence post. Um, <laughs> No, but look, you, I, hey, you're I, back, aren't you? I think <laughs> a lot of people they used to be one. like, "Oh, Leave uh, alone. Glenn, they don't like how Glenn teens up on John." But it's a uh, it's a sign of endearment. It is it's um, the only way you can show affection. Love. Yeah. <laughs> no, but if I think back to my situation, I studied phys ed teaching because I didn't work hard enough at school to get better grades to go and do human movement, sports science. Mm. Right, I knew I wanted to help people. Uh, four years into my teaching, loved helping but didn't like the red tape. I knew there was a ceiling and, and this was a, it was a light bulb moment to say, well, I can pivot left or right, I can be a vice principal or a principal. Um, but no, 
there's actually a ceiling when you're trading your time for money for me. Mm. And and this might sound how harsh to the listener, but it, it's fact that there is a ceiling when you're always going to be trading time for money. So mm. I that was when business ownership came into it. So I don't know if this person's thinking about that at all as well, but you're right. You've got to look at your strengths and say, well, how can they be applied in this industry or a new industry um, or, or, or somewhere else that's going to give me more enjoyment? And I'll finish up on this by saying like with Callum, you know, physio in a hospital earning good salaries. Like I think I know physios earning 85, 90 grand, mm. right? Just I think making um, – something oh just trying to remember but i mean it's yeah. good income yeah callum when he went for the job at the insurance company it wasn't if he went back to a forty-five, fifty thousand dollar starter of your career salary yeah it was because an employer knows that you're dialed in you're experienced and it you're works. keen to plug your teeth into something yeah so i would just encourage anyone listening if you do want to change your career listen to my millennial career mm. uh, because they know better than John and I. Totally. But a lot of our skills of being switched on, competent and passionate, the older we get, are transferable. Absolutely, they are. Yep. Uh, last question here. Um, what's the time? Yeah, we've got a couple of minutes. Uh, this is a bit funny, this one, John. <laughs> and it's from Anonymous. I, I like reading these Anonymous ones because they're fun. Don't know who they are. In January, and what is it? It's March now. Uh, no, it's not March. April. April. So it's half April at the moment. And this was in the Facebook group the other day. So even if it was at the end of March, okay. In January, I was offered a casual position at a large tech retail franchise. I was so happy about this and knew that I could balance both my jobs and finally move out of home uh, because it wasn't the best living circumstances at home. I began looking for apartments in between both jobs. I was also following up with this retailer about when I would be starting. They were already very slow. Eventually, they gave me my contracts to sign in early February, which I handed in person to them. It's been back and forth with them about me starting. They keep telling me they're waiting for me to be put into their system. The thing is, I'm calling them every week asking for an update. And this week, I've called them every day because for some reason, they're busy when I call. In March, I moved into my apartment. I'm doing okay for now. I don't have much leftover for savings at the end of the month, but I'm not struggling. My question is, what should I do in this situation? This is a large retailer. I didn't think that'd be this bad. People telling me they're trying to get out of hiring me, but I literally have changed my entire life when they gave me this job. So... I'm not going to talk about living at home under the best circumstances and all that stuff. Sweet, we get that you had to move out. You've got a couple of jobs. You've put the hustle on. John, if someone says we'll give you a job and they're dicking you around for six weeks, guess what? Yeah, well, they're- I'm uh, out of there. Yeah, (laughs) the writing's on the wall, I would imagine. There there are companies that just simply- may have gone through the process of trying to hire someone when their back end's not ready. So there is the exception, but... But if they're a large retailer, it should be a machine. should be it well It should oiled. be, yeah. So Anonymous, I'd be out of there. You're working two jobs at the moment. Yeah. Um, just Move try on. a bit longer and just try and land somewhere that values your time as a hire. Yeah. Um, I'm not waiting six weeks, two months when they've said yes and then no one answers my calls. And No, that's right. Yeah. And, yeah. and it, it probably comes back to just um, throwing some mud at the wall. Like if, if you've applied for 10 or 12 jobs and you, you've you've got one, two, three, four responses, you've got options. Totally. Whereas if you're hanging your hat on or trying to hang it on just this one and that's the only one you've applied for at the time, then... Mm. Mm. All right. Thank you so much for listening today. I've had fun with that. John, thanks for being back. Oh, it's great to be back. You're all bloody... Were you wondering if you would get back on the podcast again? Yeah, I was, uh, I was hoping I hadn't been replaced. Mm. We had a lot of guests while you were away. <laughs> a lot. Yeah, so. I know. Were they good? Yeah, really good. Mm. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. And we'll see you soon. Bye. 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 
We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respect to their elders, past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports A21, a charity focused on abolishing slavery and human trafficking all over the world. Check out a21.org.au for more info. If you would like some other giving options or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to thelifeyoucansave.org.au. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. All right, John. All right, let's do this. So, after party. Tell us about. So, how long are you going? 13 weeks. 13. Yeah. Okay. Any highlights, lowlights? Um, look, I won't lie. It, it's three kids, caravan, confined space, 13 weeks. It's, um, it's not always rosy. Right, <laughs> the, there was definitely some testing times, when, and you, and you're seven days a week too, so um, you're not seeing them off to school Monday to Friday and Gosh. having them at the end of the day or the start of the day. But no, look, I, I it was absolutely worthwhile. I would, and I, was, I said it when I was sort of around traveling around that I would encourage everyone um, to do it at some stage with their family. If they've got the ability to, even if they don't think they want to. I think the the things that it taught us along the journey was uh, amazing. You 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 understand patience and tolerance, um, but the lifestyle of um, of it brought the uh, personalities of the kids out because they they were away from their friends and family and what was comfortable for them, and they were forced to go and speak to to strangers in the caravan park um, to ask for things or they were they were given that little bit more freedom on their bikes or their skateboards or so it, it did bring their um, personalities out um, so yeah that was the main thing that we wanted to take from it really how much do you reckon it costs you guys oh to be honest we we went away thinking about a thousand a week would cover it mm. and we haven't done a final tally i don't know if we ever will but mm. <laughs> it we were probably we we're pretty close to that most weeks i would have thought yeah okay. yeah so that's like mm. fuel and accommodation accommodation fuel and, a bit yeah. of food here and there because there were some places where we would stay a week so there was no fuel yes um and there was a busier times busier periods where we had to pay premium for parks whereas other places were mm. almost off the grid and like berry for example wonderful spot we we're paying twenty dollars a night mm. for um at the showgrounds so and that's cheap is it very cheap yeah, yeah i don't know anything about caravan parks there were some parks that were like 80 or 90 100 a night yeah right mm. right okay um yeah. all right but so everyone enjoyed themselves they did yeah we've um 11 weeks in, Amy fractured her ankle um, going for a run in Tamworth one more, one afternoon. Gosh. So that sort of set us back a little bit. She was confined to a, um, to a moon boot mm. and uh, is still still recovering actually now. But, um, yeah, we sort of questioned. What bone did she fracture? Uh, it was just below the, the ankle bone itself. Right. Yeah. So she was – we were – Actually contemplating coming home early, but yeah. I thought, well, she's only going to be sitting around when we get home anyway, so. Um, but was that hard to manage, like with showers in caravan parks and stuff like that? Well, we've had a shower and toilet in the van. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that. Um, Bougie much. That, that helps. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so you, you just make it work. But the the people we met are like some really different stories, um, some travelling, doing a lap around, some a lot of grey nomads, especially when school was back. Like mm. the kids would often be in the park. They were the only kids because everyone was at school and mm. and there were just grey nomads in the park. But mm. Yeah, well, if, if you do have um, kids and all that crap and want to, you know, do it, I mean, depending on the um, response, you know, we could – you could do a bonus episode and just answer questions if people wanted to send in yeah. questions on the van life thing. 
Yeah, absolutely. We we videoed every main stop we stayed. I did a property report on, mm. um, which is on our website. But the a lot of people were reaching out saying, "Oh, I've been to that area. What do you think of it?" Or "I grew up there," or, or something like that. So there was it was really quite interactive, um, and and just to just to see so many different parts of New South Wales, mainly like a lot of time on the south coast, a lot of ocean. And then we basically put the surfboards away and it was all um, mountain biking and and skaters, uh, skatering, or what do you call it, skateboarding for the, for the rest of the time because we were inland. So Yeah, wow. Uh, so there was some, um, some beautiful parts. Were yeah. you affected by the floods anywhere? No, so we were, we were in Tamworth at the time, mm. actually when Amy did her ankle, but we, we got some heavy f- fall then, but it was nothing like the coast. Yeah, wow. Uh, so, yeah. Broken <laughs> Hill was actually one of my highlights. Really? Yeah, I enjoyed it. Really just... So, because your plan was um, to do Western Australia. WA, yeah. Would you do it again before the kids finish primary school? Yeah, band. like for, for the listeners that don't know or if they're, if they're still listening, <laughs> Ames and I are both qualified teachers. So we've got a different view to education than most because we've been in the shoes of teachers. Mm. Um, we, we're not fussed at all by taking kids out of school for three, four weeks, months at a time. Um, it, we feel life skills are much more important, no disrespect to the education system. Um, so we we wouldn't mind doing that at any stage really through their through their journey, mm. um, depending on what they got. The the main reason we came back was obviously to see you, Glenn. But um, mm. the winter sport for the kids, right? Mm. Interesting. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What do, do you What do you do? You reckon you'll go and jump in a caravan anytime soon? No. Like you got a. <laughs> Prado, gone. No, I sold the Prado. Have you sold it? Yeah, didn't you know? I did not know. So remember, I bought the. Did I buy the? No, I bought the boat at the end of last year. Yeah. So I bought the boat mm. and had to upgrade to the Ranger because the boat. So the Prado right. towing capacity is three ton. Yes. And the Ranger is three point five ton. Mm. Now the boat and trailer, we took it up to the Weybridge. It's three point four ton. Right. So if I put two hundred and sixty liters of fuel in it, it's mm. technically overweight. Yeah. So we ha- we had to buy the Prado. Uh, they had to buy the Ranger. Ranger. But get this: talk about COVID mm. tax and the cars. I don't mm. know if I told you, I paid like um, twenty four for the Prado mm. and sold it for thirty three. Oh wow! Can you believe it? Uh, well, I can in these times. Yeah, it's totally. Amazing, yeah, it? yeah. It's just wild. Yeah. So, but did you get handed another one on the Ranger? Did you pay over for that? Do you reckon? No, I actually paid twenty eight for the Ranger. Mm. And get this. At the start of the year, I put it up for sale just to see. Mm. I put it on for 34 and was getting nibbles. Really? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, no, I want to actually keep it because it's low Ks. And, yeah. What year? Uh, 14. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's well, got- That's like, got three and a half towing. Yeah. It? And yeah. only 120,000 Ks on it. Right. It's really good. Yeah. It's already raised. It's already got the sidebars on it. Yeah. Um, yeah, cool. And the bull bar. So, mm. yeah. But it, it pulls the boat. So easy. Does it? Yeah. yeah. Like, oh, it's just a dream. Yeah. We're heading up to Fraser Island next term. Really? And uh, the holidays, yeah. Yeah. Going uh, beach bashing. and. Mm. Mm. So, I... Do you want an update of my life? Uh, please. I've been having this... Do you ever have reoccurring dreams or reoccurring weird things happen? Uh, yeah, I do have reoccurring. They're slightly... They deviate from each other, but they're close enough. What's the like? What type of subject is it? Oh, uh, it's usually um, <laughs> sport related. Oh, God, <laughs> what that you've got the call up to play the fourth quarter on the Pretty Swans much. or whatever you go for. Pretty much bombers, yeah. Um, Why? What is? What's happening? So, over the last few months, I've been falling off to sleep, mm. and I think it's like an hour and a half into my sleep, and this has happened three times in the last couple of months mm. like that I can vividly remember I wake up in the panic that I haven't fed the dog and you haven't got a dog and I don't have a dog wow <laughs> and I feel like 
oh, the poor dog that's gone without food. What have I done? I've gone to sleep and it should have been fed at 7 p.m. And then I, like, last night, stood up. Happened last night. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, hang on, it's 12.30 p.m. I've been in bed since 11. What? Oh, I don't have a dog. Why am I stressed out about leaving the dog unfed? Wow. How weird is that? And it's happened like three times. Has it got anything to do with the fact that you killed the next door neighbor's dog? <laughs> oh. oh, all right. One, no, because it was happening long before that saga. So I'll, I'll give everyone an update. And for those who may have been listeners of when we first launched the podcast <laughs> from in 2018 in my office upstairs, there's a, a neighborhood dog that has been nonstop barking 24-7. It's a working dog. And I don't want to give too many details away um, in case people know the area I live or whatever because it's it's not really about uh, the individuals or the dog, but it's just a weird set of circumstances. Because we're pretty built up here. So next yeah. to me, there's a unit complex. I think there's six units in there. There's two freehold property, three freehold properties at the back of my block. Yep. And then down the front of our block, there's another set of units yep. of like six or seven. So it, it's pretty high density-ish um, for what it is. Mm. So the, one of the neighbours, and there's many neighbours around here, they have a working farm dog. Okay, a couple. Yeah, and Kelpie. It's not a Kelpie. Cully. Not saying what it is. Um, anyway, these poor dogs just bark all day. Because, you know, a, a working dog could do 15 kilometres in a day. Yeah, Easy. They want to run. So there's just this ball of energy that runs and, mm. like, I'll open my ensuite window and it'll bark. Yeah. Like, it's just... So, over the last five years, this has been going on. I've approached them and, you know, I said, oh, I'll just walk the dog and, you know, really... Because it upsets me that the bloody dog is just yeah. not getting the yeah. life that it deserves, right? So, anyway, long story short, um, you know, council were useless, absolutely useless. And I didn't want to go to the council because I wanted to sort it out with them and then put letters in their letterbox and then it got to the point where the neighbour came over to my house and was like, you do this, I don't like it, you can F off and, you know, had a go at me. I'm like, all right, that's interesting. And, and it just wouldn't stop. Constant barking day and night, day and night, day and night because this dog was confined to the smallest of yards, yeah. not walked. No. Just, it's, I think it's to the point where it's neglect mm. and animal abuse or animal yeah. rights or whatever they call yeah, it. Yeah. So I got to my wits end and I applied to the court to have a noise abatement order put on the property. Did you know there was such thing? Did yes. You? Yeah. <laughs> John, I am well connected, my friend. You are, aren't you? Um, and and honestly, I've said all along, I've got no problem with the neighbours, I've got no problem with the dogs, mm. I've got a problem with the barking. Mm. Anyway, went to court, applied, noise abatement order, and then you've got to serve the documents. Mm. So then I got a private investigator I know to serve the documents mm. and submit an affidavit that the documents were served. So he served them and um, it was all good. And then um, I was walking past a couple of weeks ago, like the day after the documents were served and the gentleman was, and this is not my immediate next door neighbor, so I'm not seeing them daily. Like you might see them once every three months or whatever. Yeah. Hear the dogs eight, 18 times a minute. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> Anyway, I said, oh, hey, mate, did you get that court document? <laughs> He's like, oh, what's that about? And, it, and I stopped because, like, genuinely, I've got no problem with him, mm. no problem with the family or whatever the situation is, no problem with the dogs. I said, yeah, I'm, he goes, oh, is this a court thing? Do we have to go to court? I said, yeah, because I don't know what else to do. Mm. Um, and then, you know, we got talking and um, showed him a video of the dogs barking and, and, and I don't think they realised how bad it was. Yeah. So, then what happened, and I said to him, look, after Easter, look, come over. I'm happy to work this out without going to court. And I know I'll probably win because I've got like 
nine signatures of different neighbours mm. in a petition that mm. these dogs are like, it's actually a problem. Yeah. So if we go to court, we're going to have to go back because they're not going to resolve it and it's going to be a big deal. So anyway, he came over, um, spent a couple of hours here. We had coffee and just chatting about life and whatever because, again, I've got no problem with him. No. I'm not the type of person that gets aggressive at the individual because mm. I get aggressive at the problem. Um, and so, yeah, we had coffee and they're going to try and resolve it and all that stuff. And um, anyway, so I've lived here for like over five years, right? Mm. The dogs have been an issue the whole time. The other week while we're trying to go to resolve this after the court thing, I get a message from him. The dog was bitten by a red belly black snake and spent a week at the vet. Mm. And died. In autumn. Unbelievable. And it's just, it's so crazy yeah. on so many levels. Unlucky. Like, number one, while all this stuff was happening. Mm. Number two, why is there a freaking snake in Blue Bay? Suburbia in autumn. Well, I mean, it, it is a bit sandy and all that. Mm. Um, and then number three, that the dog died. Yeah. Like, it's just... So bad. Mm. And I'm thinking, oh, man, I hope they don't think I did something yeah. or planted the snake. Yeah. So, anyway, so he texted me and then he came back the other day and I said, oh, and, you know, we've had some good chats and we talked about life and mm. I'll, I'll tell you offline some other stuff we talked about. But, like, it was just – I thought it was a really almost – the connections that we talked about and, yeah. you know, like I've got this stranger that, you know – having a coffee in my house and just chatting. It was really good for me. Yeah. Like just I'm learning about this guy and um, had coffee. And, yeah. And, yeah. and so it was just so, so weird. That, and so when he came over, I was like, I just want to be clear. I had nothing to do with the, mm. the snake or making oh. your dog die because that's yeah. very distressing. It's unfortunate. Um. Anyway, so he uh, he goes, oh, no, no, we didn't think that, you know, you had anything to do with that. Mm. And they took a photo of a mag, a kookaburra, and they seemed to think that because it was a baby snake, only like 300 long, mm. that possibly a bird had dropped it. Mm. So. In the backyard, yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah, yeah. so. Oh, it's good you had a nice um But it's been. Yeah, I mean, and it really is, John. Like, mm. he's a nice guy. The family's nice. Yeah. Um, and yeah. it was just cool that, you know, I, I've kind of, I really learnt from that, that, you know, if you've got a problem with something, like, I did try and work it through, yeah. end up, like, I think we have to go to court, but it got resolved. We yeah. had some really good chats. And, again, it wasn't, and he apologised to me for coming across aggressive, mm. Um and all that stuff. Yeah, and well, clearly think it's an attack on him. Yeah, and and it's not. And that's what I said to him. I said, "Man, I got no problem with you. Like you're a nice guy. I just I've got a problem with dogs barking twenty four seven. Like yeah, and and because I said to him as well, like I get dogs that you hear the odd dog bark. Dogs bark. That's what yeah. they do. But when it's a working dog, yeah, bundle of energy. So. That's kind of been what's happening. That uh, that chat you had, that was our trip 101. Like we really? have amazing conversations with people that we'd see, meet in the park and like wouldn't know them from a bar of soap but just really everyone's got a story and it's just – it. Um, and to teach the kids that mm. is amazing. Like we, we talk about strains of danger but then you don't want to retract them so far that they don't – lift their eyes or, or mm. want to talk to anyone. But it was – and th this is like what blows my mind about it, right? We said we'll catch up after Easter because I've got to go to Melbourne, so we'll catch up when I get back. Uh, good, good Friday happened. And to be honest, the last couple of weeks, I haven't been the best version of Glenn, mm. you know. You know, I've ebbed and flowed with my mental health. Yeah. And I was quite down. Yeah. And Good Friday, I was, I pretty much was on the lounge all day. Yeah. Mm. And I had 
and this is I know when I wasn't well, on Good Friday, I actually had napped three times yeah. in a day. Yeah, wow. Like I was just for those who have had trouble with mental health, mm. like you get it. Like mm. just because you're on medication, it doesn't. It's not a magic wand. Like mm. it's a million times better, but you still got the ebbs and flows. And yeah. like, so it was actually he actually popped around unannounced on Good Friday, right? In the afternoon. Yeah. He said, "Oh, have you got you know five minutes now?" And yeah. I'd been awake for a half hour, so I was lucid, and I'm like, yeah. "Oh yeah." Yeah, come in. I'll make a coffee. Yeah. And we're just chatting and it was the therapy I needed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's just such a bizarre situation yeah. Yeah. that this stranger, well, not stranger, like I'd met him a few times, but this guy that I was like about to take to court because mm. of his barking bloody dog. Mm. No, I get it. And he came in and I made coffee and showed him the filter coffee and you know, we sat where you are there for an hour and a half, two hours. Yeah, well, and I was just talking. That's good, no? And I was, I felt really good. He probably needed it too. Yeah. Mm. So, mm. but yeah, it's that thing about it's real life, isn't it? It is, yeah. And you never know what everyone else is going through either, do you? So, yeah. No, you just have to have grace for people, I think. Chat. And yeah. that's what I mean. Like, you know, I had no idea about their situation or whatever, but in, you know, he's telling me he's parents aren't well because he was my dad's age and mm. who he is and um but yeah just really weird set of circumstances yeah but i'll yeah. try and feed my dog that i don't have before i go to bed <laughs> <laughs> so if there's any dream interpreters out there <laughs> we need it we need you oh man that's wild all right you better get out of here we'll see you soon all right bye, bye. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.